Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I hope and trust that you are all well. Again, with this announcement, Reddit is still in their blackout phase, meaning 85% of Reddit is blacked out. So we are limited to what stories we can and cannot read. So I do apologize about that. As soon as the blackout is lifted, we can go back to the way things were. In the meantime, I would like to give a very special shout out to the Patreon members. Tavia S., Victoria Dyer, Tina Mead, Nancy Wallace, Mana Ash, Interscare Wifey, Felicia Scott, Cindy Cleveland, House of Jen, and the rest will be listed right here on the screen. Thank you all so much for being a part of the new membership. If you would like to become a member of Back to Ashes right here on YouTube or over on Patreon, or if you enjoy what you're hearing and would like to support me as a content creator, you can buy me a coffee. All of that information can be found in the description box below. With that being said, it is time to go back to ashes. For when we arise from the ashes, we are bigger, brighter, stronger, happier person in the morning sit back relax kick back grab a snack or tuck in and get warm and enjoy this dose of vocal melatonin entitled a hair-raising collection of scary stories i know the fiction stories are not everyone's favorite but i'm working with what i have until reddit comes back online thank you all for understanding right after this intro an ad will play i'll read the first story another ad will play and the rest of the time there will be no more ads within this video for the most part of my life, I studied in a semi-government school and was in an all-girls hostel. Most hostelers know the scary stories associated with the place, but I never believed in things like this and generally was the least scared of all. We girls are known to always go to the bathroom together, especially because the common washroom is a bit far from our dorms, and going with someone gives a sense of security. One night, my bed neighbor really had to pee and I accompanied her. While waiting for her to do her business, I saw that a bathroom next to her was occupied even before we had arrived there. I tried to have small talk with my friend and said that we should wait for the other girl as she must have come alone. We knocked on the other bathroom and asked when she would be finished so that all three of us can go together, but there was no reply from the other side. After a few more knocks, I thought maybe the person in it didn't want to be disturbed, so as soon as we were leaving, the door creaked open a bit. There was a pair of shot black eyes creeping at us through the small crack. The way both of us ran back because of the fear and horror of not understanding what just happened. 
The next morning, our principal made an announcement about how one of our seniors was found laying totally still in the girl washroom, and she was in utter shock and refused to speak a single word. I think about that day a lot, like what would have happened if my friend went alone that night, and was that a prank? A sudden headache struck the old goat herder. The pain was so sharp he blacked out for a second. Returning to his senses, he was sitting on the grassy shores of the great sea. Red dots and lines danced in the field of vision as electric shocks traveled across his skull and neck. The old man looked up. The last thing he saw was a fiery spear hurling towards him from the sky. The same star he grew up watching grow in size and proximity in the sky with each passing day. The old man didn't feel pain upon impact. In fact, he felt nothing at all. The falling star crashed into the great sea with such heat it had evaporated. The force of the impact had pushed vast quantities of salt buried beneath its waters into the air. In the minutes after the crash, skies rained flames and salt in the shape of a poisonous snowstorm that ate the fabric of the world as it cascaded onto the earth. The blast generated by the impact was so great it had set the entire world on fire dismantling the continents and stripping the earth of its surface before the solar system followed suit, crumbling into dust. Followed by the demise of the rest of the Milky Way galaxy and a display of colorful cosmic fireworks going off as the stars imploded on themselves, one by one, leaving behind nothing but a trail of pure darkness until the entire universe collapsed in on itself in a supermassive explosion that unraveled the entirety of creation, revealing the threads that held it together. A spiderweb of threads colored in impossible hues intertwined endlessly in impossible shapes and knots. The threads refused to be torn apart by the blast, instead pulling the dried-up skeletal remains of the universe back together into place reforming a grotesque skeleton devoid of life with such a force that an impossibly massive array of colors, sounds, and immeasurable heat arose from the core of the titanic bone, formation leading to the inevitable birth of particles, particles so small and elusive, yet so magnetically charged they immediately pull each other closer and closer. Slowly, they merged to give birth to atoms that further metastasized into elemental molecules, ones that give birth to the building blocks of the flesh of the universe. Before long, muscles and tenants shaped like stars and nebula began taking shape all across the barren skeleton of the cosmos. 
In no time, the threads of the universe, the fabric of fate, drove the universal evolution to a point where the entirety of creation had regrown its organs. In the likeliness of luminous stars and quasars, the light devouring black holes and the planets upon which the amorphous divinities breathed life. Life gave rise to consciousness, and consciousness gave rise to awareness, which eventually birthed mindfulness from which came the imitation of the divine and the cosmic. Miniature godheads who manipulate and cultivate other life forms, attempting to tame their planets, end up constructing cities and establishing civilizations before they set sail across the vast expanses of the universe. Always building, always growing, forever evolving, without control, without limit. In due time, the evolution of creation has gotten out of hand, turning malignant, tumorous, cancerous. It stretched the body of the universe to its absolute limit and beyond. Rapid expansion through an ever-increasing acceleration expanding velocity of formation that leads to the overstretching of the ligaments and tenets of reality slowly tearing it at the seams without ever stopping until it burst. And the cycle of collapse and rebirth began anew, tenfold, hundredfold, thousandfold. Growth and decay Divine procreation leads to the birth of universal infancy, which grows and renews itself rapidly until the universal telomeres begin to erode and collapse under the weight of cosmic renewal. Though driving to an acceleration into the division of cells allowing the genetic coding mistakes leading to the perfect conditions in which cells become cancerous. The malignant clusters overwhelmed the healthy organs and eventually the entire body rots away, leaving behind nothing skeletal remains to be used as fertilizer by the forces beyond in their recreation of everything from beyond the void. Birth and failure and renewal and demise. Ad infinium, a single second outstretched beyond the limits of elasticity into a loop twisted seamlessly around a dreamlike eternity within the rapidly deteriorating into a declined geared towards an irreversible collapse. Innumerable eternities compressed into a single instant inside the mind of a rather featureless and dim entity no longer displaying any signs of vitality. As its mind drowns in infinity possibilities and outcomes, the entity remains perched motionlessly on a brightly shining throne within a room flooded with pure white light. Smaller entities not too dissimilar to an ocean of fireflies congregate in a nearby room swarming about in an eerie silence until one dares break the deafening tension in the room with a terrifying cry that sounds the crowd of sentient flames into a frenzy. Elo M.T. God, 
has died. In the year 1867, in a quaint town shrouded in a heavy mist, stood an ancient Catholic church. It had long been a beacon of solace and spiritual guidance for the townsfolk, but little did they know that within its hollowed walls a malevolent force lay dormant, waiting to unleash its horrors upon the world. Rumors and whispers of a demonic entity had circulated among the villagers for years, and their fears were dismissed as mere superstitions. However, as time passed, inexplicable phenomena began to occur within the church's sacred confines. Shadows danced in unholy patterns, whispers echoed through empty pews, and an aurora of malevolence permeated the air. The town's residents, filled with trepidation and a desire to protect their beloved church, banded together to confront the sinister force that threatened their sanctuary. Armed with rosaries and crosses, they gathered one fateful night to perform an exorcism, hoping to banish the demonic entity that had taken root. As the incantations began and the air grew heavy with anticipation, the very foundations of the church seemed to tremble. The entity awakened from its slumber, fought back with a ferocity that surpassed anything the villagers had anticipated. The battle waged on, but their efforts proved futile against the ancient and relentless evil. One by one, the brave souls who had ventured into the church were struck down by the demonic entity's unholy power. Their anguished screams filled the sacred space as their bodies were torn apart, their souls devoured by the insatiable darkness. The townspeople, overwhelmed by despair, realized that their struggle was in vain. Fear consumed the once devout followers, and they made the agonizing decision to abandon the church. They sealed its doors, trapping the malevolent entity within its unholy sanctuary. The once vibrant house of worship stood as a forsaken monument, forgotten by time and swallowed by darkness. Years turned into decades, and the church became a haunting reminder of the horrors that lurked within. Whispers spread among the villagers, warning future generations to never approach the forsaken building, lest they too fall victim to the demonic entity's insidious hunger. However, Curiosity and the desire for answers are powerful motivators, and there were those who could not resist the allure of the forbidden. Decades later, a group of daring explorers ventured into the abandoned church, their hearts pounding with a mix of trepidation and morbid curiosity. As they stepped over the threshold, the air grew thick with an oppressive malevolence. The darkness seemed to seep into their souls, fueling their fear. They ventured deeper, 
their footsteps echoing through the empty halls, unaware of the fate that awaited them. One by one, the explorers became ensnared in the demonic entity's sinister trap. It toyed with them, whispering ancient incantations and distorting their perceptions until they were driven to madness. Their screams of terror echoed through the desecrated church, a tragic symphony of doomed souls. The demonic entity had prevailed once again, its power growing with each sacrifice it claimed. The abandoned Catholic church remained a desolate cursed place, its unholy secrets forever entombed within its walls. And so the tale of the forsaken church endured, a haunting legend whispered by those who dared speak its name. The demonic entity's hunger remained unsated, its evil perpetually waiting, ready to consume the souls of anyone foolish enough to cross its threshold. In the years that followed, the abandoned Catholic Church became a place of dread and infamy. Its dark history and the demonic entity that resided within cast a shadow over the town, leaving its residents in a perpetual state of fear. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The stories of the doomed explorers spread like wildfire, serving as a chilling warning to future generations. Parents hush their children when they ask about the forsaken church, whispering tales of the unspeakable horrors that awaited those who dared to venture inside. But as the decades passed, the memory of the church's malevolence began to fade. The new generation grew curious, fueled by a mixture of fascination and youthful arrogance. They believed themselves immune to the horrors of the past, dismissing the tales as nothing more than exaggerations. A group of daring teenagers, eager to test the veracity of the legends, gathered one moonlit night outside the Forsaken Church. They scoffed at the warnings of their parents, exchanging confident glances as they prepared to enter the accursed building. As they pushed open the heavy, weathered doors, an eerie silence greeted them. The air was thick with anticipation as they cautiously stepped into the dimly lit interior, their footsteps echoing through the empty space. But this time... Something felt different. The malevolence that had once slumbered now stirred with renewed vigor. It sensed their presence, their hubris, and their ignorance. The demonic entity hungered for fresh souls to devour. 
One by one, the teenagers began to experience strange occurrences. Shadows danced in unnatural patterns. Whispers taunted them from unseen corners, and a bone-chilling coldness permeated the air. Fear gripped their hearts, but their youthful bravado propelled them deeper into the church's depths. The demonic entity reveled in their terror, toying with them, relishing every moment of their torment. It manipulated their senses, distorting their perceptions of reality, leading them deeper into a nightmarish labyrinth from which there was no escape. As the teenagers ventured into the heart of the forsaken church, the entity revealed itself in all its horrifying glory. Its form twisted and contorted, an abomination fueled by centuries of darkness. Its malevolent eyes glowed with an unholy light, promising pain and eternal suffering. One by one, the teenagers were ensnared in the entity's clutches. Their anguished screams echoed through the unhallowed halls, their pleas for mercy falling on deaf ears. Their lives were extinguished, their souls consumed by the insatiable hunger of the demonic presence. The town once again fell into a somber silence, burdened by the weight of tragedy and the guilt of their forgotten warnings. The forsaken church stood as a testament to the power of evil, a stark reminder that some forces were never meant to be tampered with. The tale of the cursed Catholic church persisted, etching itself into the collective memory of the town. The whispers of its dark history served as a cautionary tale, ensuring that future generations would heed the warnings and avoid the treacherous path that led to its doors. And so, the abandoned church remained as a haunting relic, a blight upon the town's conscience. The demonic entity would then continue to feed upon the souls of the curious and the foolhardy, forever trapped in its unholy domain, waiting patiently for the next ill-fated souls to enter and seal their tragic fate. In the years that followed the devastating events of the forsaken Catholic Church, the town sank deeper into a state of perpetual dread. The memory of the demonic entity's malevolence lingered in the hearts and minds of the townsfolk, casting a shadow over their lives. Whispers and superstitions grew rampant, warning people to stay far away from the cursed church and the evil that dwelled within. Parents passed down cautionary tales to their children, ensuring the horrors of the past were not forgotten. The church became a taboo subject, its mere mention sending shivers down spines. But among the populace, there were those who hungered for knowledge and sought to unveil the truth buried within the church's accursed walls. A group of paranormal investigators led by the renowned occult scholar, Professor Lawrence Thornton, arrived in town. Determined to confront the malevolent force head-on, 
they ventured into the heart of darkness. Armed with an array of specialized equipment and their unwavering resolve, the investigators crossed the threshold of the forsaken church. The air grew heavy and oppressive, each step forward a battle against the suffocating aurora of evil that saturated the atmosphere. As they explored the forsaken halls, they encountered twisted symbols and remnants of past battles etched into the walls. The presence of the demonic entity manifested in chilling whispers and ethereal apparitions that danced just beyond their vision. Yet the investigators pressed on, their determination fueled by a thirst for knowledge. In the darkest depths of the church, they discovered a hidden chamber, a sanctum cloaked in darkness and despair. Symbols of ancient occult rituals adorned the walls, making a nexus of otherworldly power. Unbeknownst to the investigators, they had stumbled upon the very epicenter of the demonic entity's strength. Within the chamber, the entity unleashed its wrath, its dark power pulsating through the air. It played with their minds, distorting their perceptions and luring them into its deadly game. One by one, the investigators fell victim to the entity's insidious tricks, their sanity unraveling like fragile threads. Professor Thornton, the last remaining member of the team, stood alone in the face of overwhelming darkness. Sweat trickled down his brow as he fought to maintain his resolve gripping his crucifix with trembling hands. He called upon every ounce of knowledge and spiritual strength within him to combat the malevolent entity. But the demon's power was too great, its hunger insatiable. With a guttural roar, the entity engulfed the professor, consuming his very essence. The chamber trembled as if acknowledging the triumph of evil. As dawn broke over the town, its rays cast a haunting glow upon the forsaken Catholic Church. The investigators had vanished, leaving no trace behind. The townsfolk whispered their names in mournful remembrance, their sacrifices etched into the annals of the town's tragic history. The church stood as a chilling monument to the forces beyond human comprehension. It remained abandoned, its walls now a silent witness to the depths of darkness that resided within. The townsfolk vowed never to forget the price paid by those who dared to challenge the malevolence that had claimed the church as its own. And so... The forsaken Catholic Church remained a grim reminder of the consequences of delving into forbidden realms. It served as a silent centennial warning future generations to respect the boundaries between the mortal realm and the unfathomable abyss of the supernatural. As the forsaken Catholic Church stood as a chilling reminder of the dark forces that resided within, the town was gripped by a palpable fear. The memory of the demon's triumph lingered, but so did a glimmer of hope. 
There were those who refused to succumb to despair and sought a way to free their town from the clutches of evil. Among the determined few was Father Thomas, a wise and battle-hardened priest who had dedicated his life to fighting the forces of darkness. He witnessed the devastating consequences of the demon's power and understood the urgency of the situation. Gathering a group of brave volunteers, Father Thomas prepared them for the perilous mission that lay ahead. They armed themselves with ancient artifacts, sacred relics, and unwavering faith, ready to confront the malevolent entity that had tormented their town for far too long. With hearts filled with determination, the group ventured into the forsaken church once again, this time armed not only with weapons, but with the knowledge passed down through generations. They knew the demon's vulnerabilities and sought to exploit them. Within the desolate halls, they encountered the demon's twisted manifestations, grotesque creatures that sought to sow chaos and despair. But, with steadfast resolve and unwavering unity, the group fought back, their faith acting as a shield against the darkness. Father Thomas led the charge, his prayers resonating with an unworldly power. He wielded ancient incantations and symbols, forcing the demon to retreat its power weakening with each step. The group pressed forward, guided by an inner light that refused to be extinguished. Finally, they reached the hidden chamber, the epicenter of the demon's strength. The air crackled with malevolence, but the group refused to yield. They chanted ancient verses, invoking the divine protection that had guarded the faithful for centuries. As the demon materialized before them, a grotesque and towering figure of pure malevolence, the group unleashed their final assault. They chanted in unison, their voices rising against the darkness. Light flooded the chamber, blinding the demon and sapping its strength. With a final thunderous cry, the demon was banished. The ground trembled, and the chamber shook as the forces of darkness were purged from the church. Silence fell upon the hollowed halls, broken only by the exhausted breaths of the victorious group. The demon's influence dissipated, its power scattered into the void. The forsaken church was cleansed, no longer a symbol of terror, but a testament to the resilience and bravery of those who refused to submit to the evil forces. The town rejoiced, their faith in the light restored. Father Thomas and his companions were held as heroes their names etched into the annals of the town's history. The forsaken Catholic Church, now purified, once again became a sanctuary of peace and solace for the townsfolk. Though scars remained, reminding them of the horrors they had endured, the town emerged stronger than ever. 
the tale of their triumphant battle against the demons spread far and wide, serving as a beacon of hope for others facing their own battles with the supernatural. And so, the forsaken Catholic Church stood as a symbol of the resilience of the human spirit. Its walls whispered stories of courage and determination, a testament to the power of faith in the face of unimaginable darkness. The town, forever changed by its herring ordeal, carried the memory of their victory as a reminder of the strength they possessed when united against the forces of evil. I hadn't wanted to go to Applebee's, but my friends insisted. I'm not opposed to going out to have a meal, but I hate going to the Applebee's in our town. It's a gathering place for every half-drunk Chad and happy-hour drunk who doesn't have enough money to drink at the yacht club, but too much class for the tilted stool. We weren't big drinkers. I mean, we like to tie a few on sometimes, but these guys get downright sloppy. We get the booth as far from the bar as we can, but it's still so damn noisy in there. By the end of the night, we're all yelling at each other just to be heard over the jukebox and the drunks. I spend the rest of the night with my eardrums pounding and my head ready to crack open. At least that's how it had always been until tonight. So, we were at the back booth, like always, when I saw a guy... Mark was talking about some girl he was seeing from work, Frank laughing like a donkey. His latest drink bounced around, threatening to spill as he pounded the table, and I looked up for my cowboy burger, just in time to see this guy hunkered over his food at the end of the row. He was bent over his plate, the top of his bald head gleaming, and the light over his head hit him like a wax sculpture. I'm not usually one for people watching, but this guy stood out. He reminded me of a story from Temple, back when I still went with my parents. They told us a story about a guy who had built a creature to get revenge, a golem, and that was my first thought when I saw this fella. That sounds a little harsh, but I only mean that he appeared not like a man, but like the approximation of a man. He had on a white button-up, a red tie hanging loose around his neck like a noose, and even from here, I could see the sweat starting to pool under his arms. Despite the noise, I could almost hear him perfectly. At first, I thought... He was eating his meal loudly, bent over at the waist like a dog, but the longer I watched, the more I thought he might be crying. His shoulders were hitching in slow up-and-down jerks, and he appeared to be sobbing onto his plate. I felt a little voyeuristic as I watched him live what was likely the worst day of his life. Poor guy had probably been stood up for a date or lost his mother, and here I was watching. 
When Mark leaned nearly into my ear, I jumped a little when he spoke. What you looking at, Pally? He followed my line of sight and found the poor guy before I could. Whoa, that's a guy who's got a date with a rope later. Frank turned to look but winced as Mark kicked him. Don't look. Ain't you got no sense? Poor guy. Looks like this guy we had in the gas station the other night. He comes in high as a kite, and when I wouldn't sell him beer, he just starts crying and... Mark went on, but I wasn't really paying attention anymore. I felt a little bad for continuing to watch him, but I just couldn't turn away. Something about him was mesmerizing. It was like driving past a car crash and being unable to stop staring at the bodies on the pavement. You knew it was wrong to stare, but you just couldn't stop. Frank was braying laughter again, and I could see our waitress contemplating whether to offer him another beer as she took our empty plates away. Mark told her he was fine. Frank ordered another beer, and after several tense seconds and an elbow for Mark, I snapped back to myself and said I was okay. Jeez, buddy, Mark said as the waitress shuffled off. You gonna go over there and propose? What are you talking about? I asked, biting into my burger and realized it was lukewarm. Had I really been staring at the poor guy as my hamburger turned to ice? You've been staring at him for almost ten minutes. I thought you were going to order him a drink for a minute. We all laughed, mine being a little forced, and then Mark stood up and waved to a pair coming through the door. Jim and his wife, Celine, waved at us in return, and Frank moved to our side of the table so the two lovebirds could sit together. They had been inseparable since college, and I don't think I had ever seen one without the other more than a handful of times. They excused their lateness. Their sitter had been late, and Jim started in on a story about how she had gotten lost and turned down the wrong road. When I turned my attention back to the poor guy, two booths down. He was still bent over his burger, still quietly sobbing, but the way his shoulders moved had started to seem wrong. I was no expert on sobbing, but this guy's herky-jerky movements were starting to look like something else. A rational part of me chastised myself for continuing to stare at this poor fellow, but I was like a moth to a flame now. He was my car wreck, and I was starting to notice signs of foul play. When he snored it loudly, I heard the laughter for the first time. It made me shiver a little as I heard it thrum into me like badly played piano notes. The guy wasn't crying. He was laughing. The more I looked, the more I could see bits of meat and lettuce sprayed over the tabletop. The longer I looked, the more I wondered how I had misunderstood his laughter for crying. I was now drawn deeper into his web of strangeness, no escape in sight. Crying was one thing, I could understand crying, but who sat in a booth by themselves and laughed? 
Was he a nut? Some kind of mental case who was off his meds? Watching him from behind Celine's shoulder, I wondered if he might be dangerous. Maybe we should leave. Maybe I should suggest a change of venue, but... All thought escaped me as he finally lifted his head from the plate. The scream that welled up inside me was cut off by my constricting throat and likely sounded like nothing as much as a sigh. The man's face looked like a fantastic bit of prosthesis. He was like a piece of Halloween decoration that's just a little too realistic. The kind you worry might contain a person who wants to bite. His face looked like the front of a thumb, calloused and rippled with wrinkles or ridges. His eyes were like colorless slits. Something slashed into his face with a knife. His nose appeared to be drawn on, like a cartoon character. He was unreal, something that shouldn't exist in polite society outside the circus tent. His mouth, though, his mouth was the worst. His mouth was full of long, needle-like teeth, reminding me of an anglerfish as it protruded from his thin lips. Those teeth looked like they would never close comfortably. From here, it looked like they would constantly poke at your lips and gums, and you would be in agony most of the time. There were pieces of meat on those teeth, red, raw chunks that had been speared by them. And that's when I looked down at his plate. It was covered in the remains of raw hamburger meat. I doubted like hell that the staff had just handed this guy raw beef. But the alternative seemed even wilder. The alternative was that this man had brought his own raw meat from home so he could just consume it here in public. As the horror ran through me like ice water, I looked up to see those colorless slits observing me. The two of us just stared at each other for a count of five, and then he pulled those thin lips and monstrous teeth into a smile, and I could see red pooling at the edges of his flesh. I glanced over at Mark and Frank, both now sitting on this side of the booth, but neither of them had noticed him. The four of them were involved in a conversation, like there wasn't a monster sitting 12 feet away. It seemed impossible that anyone could be having a normal conversation so close to this creature. Its very presence should have triggered some ancient, primal node deep in our brains, and forced us to either destroy it or flee from it. The four of them were talking about jobs and school and Jim and Celine's daughter, while this thing got to exist in humanity with the rest of us. It was too much to handle. Suddenly, I wanted out. I wanted to be anywhere but there. I tried to tap on Mark to get him to move or look up or just acknowledge that I was losing my mind within easy reach of him but my body wouldn't respond. I managed to flick my finger at his arm, bumping him a little, but he only rubbed a hand over it as if a bug had landed on him. Celine was talking about the new Pokemon game, 
and Mark and Frank were just nerdy enough and broke enough to be enraptured by her descriptions. I was stuck in a state of eye contact with this thing, and the longer I looked, the more it seemed to drink me in with its strange eyes. Then, without warning, it began to sink down into its seat, lost beneath its table. I panicked. Suddenly, not being able to see it was worse than having it on display. Could it sink beneath our table? How far could it go and how close could it get? I was suddenly imagining the damage those teeth could do to a foot, even a foot within a shoe, and pulled mine up a little higher as Celine's word washed over me. He didn't resurface for quite some time, and you would have said that a thing that size would not have gone unnoticed. Then he slid back up from under the table on the opposite side of the booth. He was grinning from ghastly ear to ear, and he looked like a little kid who's trying to play with the table behind them. There was still a table behind us and him, but I was no longer sure how much protection that provided us. I didn't know what his mental state was and whether he meant us harm or not, but when he dipped back down again, I began to shake. What is wrong with you? Mark suddenly asked, turning to look at me as I shuddered beside him. I pointed to the empty plate where the man had been sitting, and Mark looked over before scoffing loudly. <laughs> oh no, your boyfriend left. Don't worry, I'm sure most of those guys at the bar will take you home if you ask them nicely enough. Uh, what's going on? Jim asked. Noticing my discomfort and looking alarmed. He's obsessed with a guy that was sitting a couple of tables back. Couldn't take his eyes off of him, I swear. I thought he was going to try and console the guy for a minute. The dude was just sitting there crying and this freak sits over here and... The bald and sweaty head man began to surface behind Celine. And when I shouted for her to look out, the whole restaurant was dead silent. Jim and Celine turned to look, but there was nothing behind them. I've had enough, though. I pushed Mark and Frank out of the way, freeing myself from the booth as I went to check under the table behind us. He'd be crouching down there, grinning like the little goblin he was. But as soon as I got on my knees and looked beneath, I was greeted with nothing but an empty space. The waitress asked me what I was looking for as I moved to look under his table as well, but by then, I was already intent on leaving. I got to my car, threw the keys in the ignition, and sped out as fast as I could. Sitting at home now, I can't get that image out of my head. My phone has been blowing up, and I know my friends are worried. I want to ensure them that everything's okay, but I just can't make sense of it. What was that thing? And why did it take such interest in me? Is it dangerous? Did it follow me home? Every time I close my eyes, I see those repulsive needle-like teeth and those no-color slits staring back at me. Every time I close my eyes, 
I wonder if I will ever be able to see anything but that creature again. Everyone discusses the wonders of venturing beyond their comfort zone and pursuing their true passion by starting a business. However, the challenges of doing so and not achieving success are rarely acknowledged. I acquired a business loan, a commercial space with an attached apartment, and established a bakery. Unfortunately, I failed to attract any customers despite my many attempts with Facebook ads, radio ads, and even renting out billboards. Not a single customer ever entered my doors. It's not like my baking is subpar, not to boast, but I don't even have anyone willing to give it a chance. Perhaps small businesses struggle to survive and flourish in the face of the convenience offered by online shopping. My mother requested a cake for her upcoming birthday in a month. Expressing her desire to be my first customer and she will pre-order. However, I find the idea of my mother bailing me out again and being my first customer just... embarrassing. And I want to avoid it at all costs. As a result, my funds and ambition are depleting. One night, I found myself self-destructing as I divulged in a late-night snack of my own creations. After consuming two cupcakes, I experienced a severe stomach ache, a common occurrence after eating sweet-baked goods, which is why I rarely indulge in them, especially late at night. Ironically, as a baker, I can barely enjoy my own baked goods. It feels like a curse. Devastated by my significant failures and this terrible stomach ache, I was contemplating the wreckage of my life until I was interrupted by a sudden knock on the door of my bakery at 1 a.m. I anxiously wondered who would be here at such an ungodly hour. Although I initially planned to disregard the circumstances and not open the door, curiosity got the better of me and I peered through the peephole. To my surprise, I found a friendly-looking man in an elegant suit and tie, sporting a bowler cap. He had slicked-back hair, glasses, and a warm, welcoming smile. He had a present wrapped in blue paper with a pink bow on top. A compulsion must have overcome me because I opened the door to a stranger at 1 a.m. Hello there. Please accept my apologies for the late arrival. I just returned to town and wanted to offer a gift to the newest small business in town. Small businesses are a rarity nowadays due to the boom of online shopping. I hope this gift serves as encouragement for you to preserve. I understand how challenging it can be to achieve success, and perhaps this gift will assist you on your journey, he proclaimed. I was so taken aback by the elegant man and his captivating speech that I stood there in disbelief. Not a word escaped my lips as I reached out to receive the generosity offered present. The man smiled, tipped his hat, addressed me as ma'am, and departed. And, 
that was it. Feeling shaken by the peculiar encounter, I returned inside and sat down at my table, unwrapping the mysterious gift. Inside, I found a card in a black box. The card read, Sometimes it's not about marketing. If something is remarkable enough, people will naturally gravitate towards it. I opened to the middle of the black book and started flipping through the pages, scanning its contents. To my disappointment, I realized I was looking at a cookbook. I left the book wide open on the table in my bakery and retired to bed, feeling defeated. I couldn't fathom what I believed that the enigmatic man held the answer to all my problems, but for a brief moment, I entertained the delusion. The following morning, I opened my bakery for the day and started brewing coffee. I noticed the book again. I stared at it intently until I finished my cup of coffee. I picked up the book. Over the next couple of hours, I baked several recipes from the book, carefully reciting each ingredient out loud to avoid forgetting anything. I couldn't comprehend how these recipes could be significantly better than what I had been baking before, to the point where customers would seek me out. Yet, I was proven wrong. To my surprise, just as I finished icing a tray of cupcakes, I heard the bell on my bakery door, signaling the arrival of a customer. You've got to be kidding me, I thought to myself, as a customer stopped into my bakery for the first time since I began my business, just as the card had predicted. Hello. I was walking by and the irresistible aroma from your bakery compelled me to satisfy my sweet tooth. I couldn't resist coming in to see your delectable treats, the man said, his eyes widening as he beheld the assortment of pastries and cupcakes on my counter. He purchased a box of cupcakes to go and went on his way. I made my first sale and joy overwhelmed me. Gradually, I started earning some money, attracting a few customers every day, though nothing extravagant. I was finally beginning to achieve a meager profit. However, what I truly needed were returning customers, people I could rely on to sustain my business for years to come. Despite the praises I received regarding the appearance and aroma of my goods, I had yet to witness a familiar face returning to make another purchase. This worried me. Against my better judgment, one morning I decided to sample my new creations to ascertain whether the recipes the mysterious man had given me were genuinely exceptional. They were incredible. I couldn't believe it. This is the most exquisite cupcake I've ever tasted, I thought, holding a half-bitten cupcake at eye level, scrutinizing its perfection. However, my elation was short-lived as I soon experienced a stomach ache. This didn't make any sense. I couldn't understand why, despite having numerous customers over the past month, not a single one had returned. Frustrated and confused, 
I concluded that I should sell a cake to my mom on her birthday, because then I could at least receive some honest feedback after prying for a while for the truth. I know, I know, it seems low to sell a cake to your own mom on her birthday, but you don't know my mom. She would insist on paying me regardless of whether she slipped money in my pocket or left it in my apartment's mail slot. Somehow, she would ensure I received the payment, so it's easier this way. So, I baked a cake for my mom. Although she arrived in town late that night, she insisted on having cake and ice cream. She came to my bakery at 12.30 a.m., and after catching up for a while, she eagerly anticipated trying her birthday cake. I adorned the cake with candles, spelling out two and one, and wished my mom a happy 21st birthday, which made her burst into laughter at the obvious lie. My mom treasured birthdays and always celebrated no matter what. I asked her to make a wish and watched as she leaned in to blow out the candles. To my disbelief, my jaw dropped as I witnessed a colossal open mouth materialize on the cake with razor-sharp, shark-like teeth that swiftly engulfed my mother while she still had her eyes closed, beginning with her head, which caused her to be suspended upside down. Then, with its snake-like ability to stretch, its mouth widened to accommodate the rest of her body and my mother disappeared with just a few jingles. The cake, now a monstrous, bloated creature, turned to face me. It shouldn't have been able to see me, possessing only a giant mouth, and yet its gaze bore a hole into my soul. I screamed in horror as the monstrous cake turned its attention towards me. In all the chaos that transpired, the black cookbook fell off the table and landed on the ground, reminding me that this is how it all started. I darted for the book, ducked, and retrieved it, barely dodging a swift chomp from the cake-like creature, and fled outside overwhelmed and hysterical at the events that just unfolded that I'll never be able to live down. Now I understand why none of my customers returned, but I was around the baked goods as well, and I'm still here, I screamed frantically, tears streaming down my face. Thumbing through the book's pages, my eyes darted around until they landed on the first page, which bore a crucial warning. Please read before using. Do not indulge in the delectable sweets after dark. The consequences of your sweet tooth may turn rotten. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, I come to you today with a heavy heart and a message that must be shared. The end of days is coming. We have all heard the prophecies of the book of Revelation and the signs of the times that Jesus spoke of. Wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes, famine, and disease are on the rise. The world seems to be spiraling out of control, 
and it's easy to feel overwhelmed and hopeless. But as Christians, we must remember that our hope is not in this world. Our hope is in Christ, who conquered death and promised to return one day to make all things new. We must also remember that the end of days does not mean the end of the world. It means the end of the current age and the beginning of a new one, a time when Christ will reign supreme and all things will be made right. But until that day comes, we must be vigilant. We must stay true to our faith, even when it's difficult. We must love our neighbors, even when they don't love us back. We must pray for our leaders, even when we disagree with them. And we must share the good news of Christ with those who have yet to hear it. For when the end of days comes, it will be too late for those who have not accepted Christ as their Savior. So let us not be afraid of the end of days. Instead, let us embrace it as a time of hope and anticipation. A time when we will finally see our Lord face to face and be with Him forever. May the peace of Christ be with you all. Amen. As I sit here listening to the preacher's words, I can't help but feel completely detached from everything he's saying. It's like I'm watching a movie, but I'm not really there. I used to be a devout Christian, but lately, something in me changed. I feel like I'm going through the motions, but my heart isn't really in it. The thought of the end of days doesn't really faze me anymore. In fact, Sometimes I wonder if it would just be easier if it all ended. The world is so messed up, and I don't see how a loving God could let all this suffering happen. I used to pray every night, and now I don't even know what to say. It feels like my faith has been drained out of me, and I'm left feeling empty and alone. I know I should be seeking help or talking to someone about this, but I feel like no one would understand me. My friends and family are all strong believers, and I don't want to disappoint them or be seen as a failure. So, I continue to go through the motions, hoping that one day my faith will return. But as time goes on, I become more and more convinced that it's gone for good. The end of days no longer holds any significance to me. It's just another event in a world that's already lost its meaning. And I don't know if I'll ever be able to find my way back to the faith that once gave me hope and purpose. As I watch the news of the plague spreading across the world, I feel a sense of sadness and despair wash over me. The world is already so broken, and now this... I used to believe that God had a plan, that everything happened for a reason. But now, I can't help but feel like we're all just pawns in some cruel game. How could a loving God let something like this happen? Despite my doubts and questions, I still find myself praying, but it's more out of habit than anything else. I don't even know who or 
what I'm praying to anymore. As the days go on, the situation worsens. People are dying left and right, and the world as we know it is falling apart, and yet, I still don't feel the sense of urgency or fear that I know I should. Maybe it's because I've already lost my faith, or maybe it's just a defense mechanism. But I can't help but feel like this is all just a part of the cycle of life and death. We're born, we live, we die. It's all inevitable. As I watch the world around me crumble, I can't help but wonder what the point of it all is. If there is a God, why would he let his creation suffer like this? And if there isn't, then what's the point of anything? I know that these are dark thoughts, but I can't help but feel like I'm just being honest with myself. The end of days no longer holds any significance to me, because it feels like we've been living in the end of days for a long time now. What is faith but a mask we all wear? I think this as the mobs of people pull me from my home and hoist me onto a crudely built cross. As I hang there, my arms stretched out and pain coursing through my body, I wonder if this is what it means to be faithful, to suffer and die for a belief that may or may not be true. As I hang there from this cross, I can only describe it as an excruciating pain. My body feels heavy and every breath I take is struggle. My hands and feet are nailed to the cross and the blood is slowly trickling down my limbs. The heat of the sun beats down on me and the sweat drips into my eyes, blurring my vision. As the hours pass, my strength begins to fade and I feel my life slipping away. I know that my death will be in vain. I offer nothing but hate and pain to those who have condemned me, and I ask my so-called Father in Heaven why he would allow this. But as the mob below me cheers and jeers, I can't help but feel like this is all pointless. What does it matter if I believe in God or not? Does it really make a difference in the grand scheme of things? I used to think that faith was a beautiful thing, that it gave people hope and purpose, but now all I see is the violence and hatred that it can inspire. As my vision starts to fade and my breathing becomes shallow, I wonder if I made the right choice. Was it worth it to hold on to my disbelief, even if it meant dying for it? But in the end, it doesn't matter. Whether I lived or died, the world would keep turning. People would continue to believe what they wanted, and others would suffer for it. As the light fades from my eyes, I take comfort in the fact that I stay true to myself. That even in the face of death, I refuse to wear the mask of faith. In my final moments, I feel a sense of release. The pain fades away, and I am enveloped in hatred and darkness. Coughing blood spews from my mouth, 
as it falls to the ground to cause a hellish earthquake felt across the planet. As the blood spills from my lips and hits the ground, I feel a surge of power coursing through me. It's as if all my pain and suffering has been transformed into something greater. The earth shakes beneath me, the ground cracking and splitting open as the energy radiates outwards. People scream and run in terror as buildings topple and the very fabric of reality seems to fray. But even in the midst of this chaos, I can't help but feel a sense of peace. I know that this is the end of my journey, that I have finally found my purpose. As the last of my strength leaves me, I close my eyes and surrender to the darkness. And in that moment, I know that my legacy will live on, that the world will never forget the sacrifice I made and the power that I unleashed. For better or for worse, I have changed everything, and even in death, I will continue to shape the world around me. Dark tendrils erupt from the ground and wrap around my body. I feel a sudden jolt of pain, followed by an overwhelming sensation of heat. The ground opens up beneath me, and I'm pulled downward into a spiraling vortex of smoke and fire. As I descend deeper into the underworld, I feel my body transforming. My flesh falls away, replaced by something darker and more powerful. I am reborn as a ruler of the damned, my eyes glowing with an unholy light. The denizens of the underworld bow before me, recognizing my power and my authority. I am a master of the shadows, a lord of the abyss, and as I survey the landscape before me, I know that I have finally found my true calling. No longer bound by the limitations of mortal flesh, I am free to explore the darkest corners of the universe. I am free to unleash my power and my wrath upon those who would dare to challenge me. And as I bask in the glory of my new existence, I know that I will never again be bound by the petty concerns of the living. For I am now a creature of the night, a harbinger of doom and a ruler of the damned. With my newfound power, I rise up from the depths of the underworld and make my way back to the world of the living. My mission is clear, to seek out those who had wronged me and make them pay for their sins. As I walk amongst the living, I am a shadowy figure, barely visible to mortal eyes. But those who have wronged me can feel my presence and they tremble in fear. One by one I seek out my enemies, and I strike them down with the force of my wrath. They scream and beg for mercy, and I am beyond mercy now. I am a creature of vengeance, and I will not rest until they have all been punished. As I continue on my quest for revenge, I realize that my power has no limits. I am stronger than any mortal and I'm immune to their feeble attempts to stop me. 
and so I continue to wreak havoc on those who have wronged me, until finally I am satisfied. My revenge is complete, and I can finally rest. But even in death, I am still a ruler of the damned, and should anyone ever cross me again, they will know the full extent of my wrath. And that, dear listeners, is the end of these hair-raising collection of scary stories. If you are sleeping, I hope Slumberland is treating you kindly. If you're awake, I hope you've enjoyed this collection. Until next time, I'll read to you soon. Have yourself a good morning, a good afternoon, or a good night.
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest-growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for.